The VO-Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 23 of The VO-Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Today we're going to talk about public announcing. It's a really interesting genre of voiceover. We've got a whole panel of guests who are talking about uh, how it kind of how they transition from public announce into voiceover and sort of the uh, the challenges and pitfalls that that might actually have coming with it. But before that, we're going to talk about current events. So what's been going on with you, Paul? Well, I've got a few things going on. I just finished my first book for Find Away Voices. I completed it and uploaded the audio last night. It's my longest book to date. It's 41 chapters, total of about wow. nine hours. So that was uh, that was interesting. I hadn't done one that long before. It was sort of intimidating at first, right? I looked at it and said, oh, man, how am I going to tackle this? But uh, it was interesting. I found that once I got into it, it was sort of like when you're, when you're reading a book and you really get absorbed in the story, I just couldn't stop. So right, I set, sort of set a budget of two chapters a night to try and get through it to, uh, by the deadline they wanted. I sort of kept going. Every night I kept doing more and more because I got into the characters so much and I didn't want to lose the, the momentum I had. So it was interesting to see that play out. No, oh, that's wonderful. I kind of had the... <laughs> one of my first books was actually er, uh, Volunteer for Learning Ally and that one's all, like probably at least six hours. I'm like, man, I really wish I had started with something like a children's story or a short story other than that. But... Um, but yeah, like you said, there's some days where you just get that like spark of motivation and inspiration and you really get immersed. And those are those are like that's what we live for, you know? Like the that's ideally what you have every time. But I'm curious how you find that motivation when it's like when you don't wake up in the morning and you like feeling great and ready to record. Well, for me it was it was pure necessity. Uh, this book specifically had several voices and several different characters and it was even more interesting i won't give the title so if people <laughs> i don't want to do any any plot spoiling for people who may be listening once the book comes out but it's a it was about um espionage and several spies working for the cia and, and other other world um you know, spy organizations so there might have been one character who had three different voices because she was speaking in english uh north american english and then speaking in british english and then arabic and I had to maintain the same tone with, with the same character for all three voices. And basically, I didn't want to lose that. So once I got down the the character voices and I knew that I was sort of rolling with them, I wanted to make sure I could maintain that. So I was trying to get through it as quickly as possible so I wouldn't lose those tones of voices. <laughs> and there was like 10 different characters that were like that. So it was, it was kind of interesting. Very cool. And were you collaborating with the author, like sending like, hey, this is the voice that I want to do for this character? Or is, did they just trust you to handle it on your own? Well, their first, the first 15 minutes I did, sort of, it, it was through, like I mentioned, Findaway, but they operate similar to the ACX model where you submit the first 15 minutes and the author approves. So in that, there were several different chapters they wanted me to do to make sure I could do the woman's voice, to make sure I could do the British accent, to make sure I could do the Arabic. So they'd already gotten a taste of all the voices. Not every one, because there were 10 to 15 different characters, but they got a taste of the different dialects I could do to make sure it would come off um, as well as they would expect. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm I, Now I want to hear your accents because you never really do them around me, actually. <laughs> and you'll never hear them. And you never will. You never will. It'll well, be a surprise. So you can go buy that book when it comes out. Now that I've ruined the, the plot for some people, I'll mention the title at the next episodes when it will actually be released on, on Audible so people can go download it. Very, very cool. Oh, that's some... That's some good mystery marketing. There we there. go. Some teasing, we call it in the biz. 
But other than that, uh, all of my my focus lately has been with my VO empire, as a friend of the show, <laughs> Marisha Tapera, um, dubbed it. So, A.K.A. your family? Right, exactly. <laughs> so right before VO Atlanta, actually the day before, my son Matthew did a job for Badalgo. And uh, we sent it off to the client. And I got paid while we were in VO Atlanta, I think, while I was talking to Armin almost the exact same time. So I want to thank Armin for that. For those of you that don't know, I think we might have mentioned this, but if not, it's worth re-mentioning that Bodalgo offers free premium accounts to child actors. So if you're interested in having your child or your child already is a voice actor, you can get a free premium account with Bodalgo, which means they can receive direct auditions and audition for jobs. And that's what uh, my my one son did. Um, He booked a job, got paid right away from, from the client in Italy, and uh, and had that out on mostly it was a corporate video, so I'm assuming they're playing it. I haven't actually seen it, but yeah, we we're pretty excited about that. And then my other my daughter, who has been dabbling in it as well, is about to embark on her first audiobook. Cool and interesting. Actually, I don't want to prompt you on how to how to do your your job, but could you ask me how we secured that job? <laughs> so how did you how did you go about getting that job? But uh, actually, before I ask that, I just wanted to point out that it's um, if you do have children that you want to exploit, I mean, who are talented actors, <laughs> and um, you should definitely look into because Armin's situation, as wonderful as he is, isn't completely unique. You'll find a lot of agencies and uh, are a little bit more lenient about how they hire younger talent just because the jobs don't come in as often but i mean they still need to be hired obviously and so it doesn't make sense for them to charge a child for a year-long membership if there's only going to be two or three appropriate gigs and but it's still like they're still a valuable resource to have when they do come in so uh you might find an agent or a casting site like badalgo offering incentives like that so if you're uh, involved with voiceover and you, your children are interested too, it's something you should look into. But, uh, but uh, back to your daughter, how exactly did you get that, that audiobook gig for her? Well, I'm glad you asked <laughs> because it was part of a, an in-person marketing effort I put forth. I reached out to a local author who was a friend of a friend and contacted her about her book that I had seen was just, pub- was just published on Amazon, the print version. And it immediately shot up to the bestseller um, rankings of this category. So it's a book about a, a young girl who has anxiety disorder and how her mom helps her deal with those feelings. So I reached out to the author about doing the book, not necessarily for for me, but for my daughter, sort of an ulterior motive. And then she ended up referring me to her publisher. So I went to the publisher, who's also a local company, and we had coffee over over a Tuesday morning. And we talked about all of the authors that might have some, some benefit from doing audio. So this one was immediately... Uh, put out there and they said yes we'd like to have your daughter do it so we're going to work on that in the next couple weeks and then meeting with the publisher she said there's actually several authors that we would like to maybe investigate doing an audio version so that could be more fruitful than I even imagined to begin with so word to the wise if you haven't started marketing locally do that because there's opportunities out there you may not even know exist we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast like you really are only limited by your own imagination in your marketing efforts And as you're just getting started, as long as you have a certain level of competitiveness, like you already, like you have a a competitive sounding studio and some training under your belt and demos, preferably, uh, and all that, by all means, reach out, find out what local businesses are out there and just figure out what their personal needs might be. Like, do they have radio advertising? Do they need it? Do they have 
Uh, do they have IVR messaging systems taken care of, or do they suck, and could they be improved? Um, these are all questions that you should look into and not really feel like you have to just, like, your first step should be finding an agent and expecting them to do all that work for you. Because as we've talked about before, that's only one egg in your basket as, as lucrative and as, like, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? as fancy and celebrity sounding as it does to have an agent or agents you can't rely on them for all of your work you still they still expect you to be trying to market yourself and finding gigs for yourself as well yeah it's it's a it's a really good point now speaking of of marketing your local services one more thing i want to mention current events wise is i rented out my studio recently to a demo producer so a friend of the show also terry daniel who's a demo producer out in minneapolis as well as voice talent and coach he was looking for somewhere in Baltimore to have a demo produced for one of his talent. He actually had a bit of a bad experience with a studio he booked in the city and said, Hey, Paul Stefano, you have a studio in Baltimore? And I said, Yeah, uh, we've recorded out of it uh, for my own demos. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. He said, Would you be willing to host this person, You know, rent the studio out, I'll pay you for it, and have her do the demo for me, with me doing the remote session in Minneapolis? And I said, Sure. So uh, talent came over. I sat outside the, the other side of the, of the window and, and engineered while she did the, the remote session with Terry, and it came off great. So another way you can, you can leverage the, the resources you have and the investment you've made in yourself and your business to maybe have some additional income. Exactly. I, I just kind of want to just gush about Paul for a second. I mean, like, look at how, because so many people focus on just one aspect of how they can help a client, which is with their voice, and that's wonderful but as a voiceover studio paul has already got this whole list of possible or like added values for like ways that he can help potential clients and uh whether it be as a renting out a studio or exploiting i mean hiring his children or <laughs> <laughs> and producing two local authors uh, doing their audiobooks too Exactly. So don't feel like you're, like they're and it's all building connections. And I'm sure like sometime down the line, these are all going to come back to him in spades in opportunities for work in and all other sorts of networking opportunities as well. So good on you, Paul. You always inspire me to, to get my butt to the pavement and make some phone calls and build some connections like that. Oh, thank you. So you're speaking welcome, of what, what's going on with you, what's going on with me? Uh, well, Things have slowed down a little bit after VO Atlanta, finally. I was riding high on all those positive energies and vibes for about three weeks, but things are finally starting to level out. Um, still just been working consistently with my uh, with my regular e-learning clients. Um, my work with GVA has really ramped up, and I wanted to talk to you about that because you actually got to experience our membership program firsthand, and you'd said some really nice things about it. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I signed up for your promotion at View Atlanta and participated in one live coach workout with um, with Steven Reesberg, and that was a lot of fun. Got some great feedback and reinforced some, some things I knew I needed to work on, and then took advantage of some of the marketing materials that were sent out. So do you want to talk about um, how that works, and I can talk about how I took advantage of it? Oh, sure, sure. So yeah, so we had this promotion at VO Atlanta where attendees were able to join uh, their first month for $1. Uh, the usual cost is about $60 a month, $59.95. And um, so for that level of our membership, it's at our most exclusive tier, the pro level, 
you get uh, one coach-led workout, which is led by one of our great coaches like um, like Steven Reisberg. He's a Hollywood booth director. He's even worked with greats like Don LaFontaine and some of the best in the industry, uh, both celebrity talent and strictly voiceover talent. Who else leads those? We also have Christina Malizia and David Rosenthal, as well as our other cadre of great coaches like Carol Monda and uh, Katie Lee, MJ Lalo, Brian Summer. Um, Brian Summer is great. He's worked on a number of the Telltale game series, and he's got a penchant for villain voices. So it's always fun to go to a workout or a workshop that he's leading. And then uh, uh, on top of that, you also get a peer-led workout with myself, which is just kind of a safe space. We've talked a little bit about accountability groups and workout groups in the past, and that's essentially what this is. It's just an opportunity to experiment with your performances and get feedback with your peers and then practice giving feedback as well because, I mean, it helps your ability to direct and self-direct by directing others. And so I know in my own experience, they've been just incredibly helpful just leading these things, and I've gotten nothing but positive feedback from the people who attend. And on top of that, we also have um, just an hour-long Q&A session once a month where you get to pick the brain of a pro voice actor and get like career strategy advice or audition or demo feedback. And on top of that, we also send out um, just a small list of like production companies or agencies that have said that they were or openly said that they are accepting submissions from talent. So um, just a little like thank you and a little boost to your marketing efforts each month. So as you were saying, Paul, how did you take advantage of those benefits? Well, that, that last one, I I took those leads, and they were from um, a marketing company, right, that, that you work with as a partnership? Yes, it's called Tailored Products Group, or TPG, and that's with Al Richardson, who is another voice talent and has a number of connections with e-learning and video production companies or excuse me, he's got these large uh, lists of companies that you can purchase uh, in different regions, but he gives us a small sample of his um, of his current findings each month uh, just because of the positive relationship we have with him and the inspire goodwill that way. So, uh, But it's a wonderful resource. And then that way for talent who are newer in self-marketing, this is um, almost a surefire way to to get your foot in the door with a couple of these different companies and to build clients like that. And you mentioned that you had some like, quite a deal of success with this list. Yeah, well, I mean, one. So there, there, the list was nine companies, right? You lied right? to me. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's a, actually a pretty good shooting percentage, so to speak. So there was nine sample leads, three from each of the different um, lists. One was an animation company, one was a production company, and one was, a, I think, a production studio. So I contacted all of them and immediately got a response from one of the production studios that said, yeah, we'd love to add you to our roster. So that may not sound great, but I mean, based on the thousands and thousands of cold calls I've done over the years, one out of nine is actually really good percentage. So I was really happy with that. And that, yeah, like that brings up a good point too, is just how much or how many contacts you need to make it before you really start gaining traction and getting responses back. Like I remember I took uh, Jonathan Tilley's League of List Builders course a few years ago, and He's like, if you're if you're limiting like your potential contact list to a hundred or less, you are doing far too little. Like you need you need hundreds of potential contacts before you start really building those numbers into the dozens even. So, uh, like just keep building that list and keep building those potentials, and then reach out to them every couple of months if you haven't gotten a response back. Right. So yeah, I enjoyed the uh, the membership with the GBAA. I was actually surprised to see how much work was involved from you. I mean, I know some of the stuff is scheduled probably to automate the, the email process, but 
I was getting notes, either Facebook posts or emails from you. It felt like every 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that often, but it just depends um, on when workouts are scheduled and things like that, because like I'll host a workout and then the record, I'll edit the recording of it and then we'll upload that and then let people know that it's available because not everyone can attend these things live. But one of the things that I love is that we have a huge library of all of our previous workouts and webinars. So even if you weren't able to attend, you could still watch it. You can still, and believe it or not, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I think you can still learn quite a bit just from watching other people perform. I know a, a lot of us really want to get that uh, that personal experience, that on mic experience, and and you can get that. But um, even just watching and taking notes, there's still so much more you can learn from just doing that. So I think that's a huge resource, and we stockpile these things for an entire year before we start uh, updating it with the the current year's workouts and webinars. So it's just a huge, huge resource, and um, and I love being a part of it. Based on my previous educational experience in English teaching, it's kind of like the perfect marriage of my educational experience and my love of voiceover because I get to teach people how to become better talent. I mean, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, before we transition to our more lighthearted uh, VO meter stick, we did have some ser some serious and downright startling news. Uh, our good friend and mentor of the podcast, uh, Paul Straquerda, we recently discovered he just suffered from a stroke recently. And it was just a shock to, to us because if you've ever seen Paul, he's just in the picture of health. And um, it, you would never have suspected him being uh, liable to, to a stroke at his age right now. But luckily, he's, he's his typical self. He's in good spirits. He contacted everyone, letting us know that he was okay and sent a few smiling pictures on Facebook. And just conducting himself with his usual grace and humor. And so, Paul, we just wanted to say uh, we're so glad you're all right, and um, we hope you have a speedy recovery, and we hope that your family is doing all right as well. So uh, our th so hugs and healing thoughts going out to you, my friend, and we hope, you, we hope to hear from you more soon. Yeah, same from, same from here. It was really startling, like, like Sean said, but we're glad to hear that at least you're, you're, you're in good spirits and, and doing well so far. And as luck would have it, because of the Easter holiday, I'm actually going to be in his hometown this weekend. So I'm going to try and, and stop by and see him if he's up to it and hopefully wish him wish him well there in person. I'm sure if he's feeling well enough, he'd really appreciate that. That's, that's awesome, Paul. Indeed. So we'll get to our main discussion with our public address slash live event announcers in just a moment. But before we do that, we have our VO meter stick. <laughs> Hey, everybody, it's time for the VO meter shtick. What did he say? It's time for the VO meter. Oh, never mind. The VO meter shtick. Oh, got it. So this episode's VO meter shtick is actually done by me. Yay. Live and in person. So I'm going to talk about a funny experience I had while doing public address for my local university, Towson University here in Towson, Maryland. So I was the public address announcer for the basketball team and uh, the men's basketball team. And we were doing a game. I think it was towards the end of the season. The The team was not doing very well. They were sort of out of contention for the playoffs. And I think the coach was tinkering with the lineup. So he, what, what you do as a public address announcer normally is get the lineup from both coaches, go over it, and make sure you can announce, all, uh, sorry, pronounce all the names um, in case you, you, you don't want to pronounce them wrong on, on the microphone and embarrass the kid, maybe his parents. So both coaches, you go get the lineups, 
go through the names, make sure there's no surprises, make sure the star player isn't out that day for an injury, so on and so forth. So in this case, I got the lineup, and the star point guard was on the bench, and I wasn't quite sure why. So being also a fan and alumnus of this school, I was kind of perturbed. I thought, hey, why is he sitting this guy? This coach doesn't know what he's talking about. Ugh, frustrated. But, you know, you still have to do your job the right way. So the game starts, and I'm doing the lineups. And I go through the list. I announce the center, the forwards. I get to the point guard, and I announce who I think should be in the lineup. <laughs> they get the star point guard that was on the bench. Uh, I forget his name exactly, but I just go ahead and announce him and didn't realize anything had happened. But then I look up, and the entire bench and the coach are all giving me the stink eye, like, what the heck? <laughs> what are you doing? And then I look back down and thought, uh-oh, giant Freudian slip. So I had to say, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's actually Brian uh, starting at, at point guard. Uh, then everything was fine. We did the rest of the lineup. But I felt like an idiot because I had basically just inserted my own ideas of who should be in the lineup into, into the live announce, and that was not good. I came to find out later it was a disciplinary thing where the, 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 the player had done something, and that's why the coach benched him. But it was just funny to see that reaction from the crowd. Now, I will say that was the last men's basketball game I did. <laughs> May have had something to do with it. After that, I was, uh, I was relegated to just women's basketball, soccer, field hockey, and volleyball. But just, oh. a, just a funny little story about live announcing and how things can go wrong. Your rise to PA announcing, uh, or what was it, your journey to uh, PA announcing ended before it began. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was just funny. <laughs> I'm actually really interested about our, um, our panel today because, like, I, I dabbled in it when it was very young. Like, we're talking, like, high school and college. Um, like I emceed, like they asked me to emcee a few events at our school because I was in the theater program. And like, I remember having to announce like junior prom or like the, um, whatever the, uh, pep rally for that and stuff like that. And I had to announce people's names. And then one, I just straight up said the wrong girl, uh, who is coming up and, but like, that's maybe I forget if it was like how it was listed or if I had skipped ahead on the list or whatever, but I was just like, um, this this poor girl just looks terrified as she's like halfway down the aisle and then she just looks up at me I'm like oh my bad and then I just kept going 17 <laughs> year old Sean I didn't didn't care at all well that but, stuff happens um, all the time even to and, people who have been doing it for years that, as mm -hmm. I'm sure our, our panel can attest to yeah, and then, um, but I, like I said, I was really interested in hearing from a more professional side because, like, my only other experiences was in college when I was doing this sort of, like, media internship where we got to try all sorts of different aspects of media production, whether it be sports announce or, um, or color commentary or uh, on-camera work or working behind the camera and all sorts of things like that. And so I tried one of, or just color commenting one of the, uh, the basketball teams and it was ridiculously hard. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear your perspective on that because it's just like you like you have to be so attentive. You have to like you have to really familiarize yourself with these or with these people's names, and you have to be able to comment on what's going on quick enough that it's relevant, like that people are actually able to see what you're talking about rather than like a few minutes afterwards and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work. As I mentioned, it, it takes a lot of prep. I would go to the game usually an hour, sometimes an hour and a half before to make sure I had everything in my head and everything down on paper. You take a lot of notes to make sure you don't have to just remember everything in your head. 
And as our, as our guest will tell us, it's a similar situation for almost all sports or all events. There really is a lot of prep work both before and after. Justin, during the call, Justin Brown mentioned that he was usually the first one there and the last one to leave when he was at Talladega, and that uh, that became an issue for him because he'd be leaving the racetrack after the race, two or three hours after the race, and it was it was a danger for him to drive home because people don't don't necessarily uh, take the best precautions when they're at a NASCAR race as far as designated drivers, and oh, that it was yeah. bad, like actually dangerous for him to get back to his house from the track with people you know weaving in and out of traffic <laughs> and wheeling around the parking lot. Woo! Right, NASCAR. <laughs> but yeah, and I I have friends even now that are still the announcers for local teams, and it's the same way. You're, you're one of the first ones there, you're one of the last ones to leave, and it's, in a lot of ways, a thankless job. Yeah, but you got to be passionate about it, I'm sure. Like, otherwise, eat you alive. <laughs> I think that's where it comes from, yeah. Everybody's really passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but before that, we have our... Questionable Gear Purchase. Why don't you go first this time? All right, so questionable gear purchases. So I'm in the middle of one right now, actually, um, because one of the uh, one of the coolest things about Vio Atlanta this year is that I mean, it's I, I've told Gerald Griffith and Ann Gangus and all the like, the head honchos or Vio Atlanta this like my life has changed for the better every time I go because um, like the first time I went was when I was in Japan and I won the international scholarship. That was huge. And then by the end, like I met Global Voice Acting Academy that weekend. And then that was the beginning of our relationship um, together or like our working relationship together. And then by the end of that first conference, I won a 416. So like, I mean, you, you don't think you can even top that. <laughs> but then the year after that, like luckily I was able to pay my own way this time with the with my voiceover funds that I had made for my clients. Woohoo! <laughs> and um, but then I had been asked to do the uh, the team challenge led by Cliff Selman and I think it was or and Dan Friedman that year. They they tend to be the ones who lead that, and and so this was something that I was completely unconfident in, and uh, I was just blessed with a wonderful team that we had a great rapport with, and our team won that challenge, and so we got to come back to View Atlanta again, and on top of getting some kick-ass headphones and a chaotic eyeball and some other cool stuff. Um, and so we got to come back and then uh, fast forward to this year, I find out that I have been nominated for the unicorn grant, which is just this amazing opportunity for where just a number of agents, casting sites, branding strategists all offer their services for free or donate their services to one lucky recipient who kind of encapsulates the, uh, the generous spirit of the VO community. And so just being a nominee, I like my my travel and attendance were were gratis were were compensated and um and then i and you don't find out who like the fi- or uh who actually wins until the last day of the conference but um and i but the finalists end up receiving a $500 gift card to Sweetwater which is like my favorite audio store and i'm like woohoo and so um so I was I was elected a finalist. I didn't get the full grant, but I still got all of those wonderful benefits. And and then I had this weird situation where I'm like, I have five hundred dollars to my favorite audio store, but I don't really need anything. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> oh, poor baby. Right. I know. It's just like a lot of people, like our audience, just want to throttle me right now. Yeah, um, they're all vomiting in their booths right now. <laughs> but 
But no, that's the truth. And it's just like, I mean, you guys know know me and you know Paul. We're just we're just uh, unrelenting, not gear snobs, but we we are always drooling over new gear. And there's all these things that like part of me, honestly, like I was like, this will just be like a line of credit, and I'm just going to use this as an excuse to buy all the things that I want to review and then send them back. Ooh. Like you know. <laughs> Just try them out, make videos, and then send them back. Um, but but the truth is, one thing that I don't have in my studio, because I've got great mics, I've got a good interface, and all the accessories you need, like cables and all the unexciting stuff or whatever, um, but one thing I don't have are studio monitors. And those are something that I had been putting off getting for a long time because it's like one of those less fun aspects of voiceover, and they can get pretty expensive. Um most people recommend that you spend at least $300 a pair on them. And I mean, that can be prohibitive for a lot of people. But so, so I had limited it, my choices down to two monitors, one being the, the Yamaha HS5s and then the Personas Aris E5s, which are like a newer, um, a newer monitor thing. Personas has, is made a name for themselves with their Studio One software and their a number of interfaces since their audio box units a few years ago. And honestly, their quality and just the, um, or the quality of their products has just steadily increased uh, over the years. And they're really building a name for themselves. And uh, they, they come in these, like, like, appearances aren't that important, but I mean, they're blue and they're, they look cool and they're compact. And I'm just like, ah, that's, I want them. But, uh, and so now I have an opportunity to get them, but it was funny because it's like you see that one purchase and they're like, all right, that's great, but then I need to spend this much money on like monitor stands to get the best out of them. And like, oh crap, my desk is too small to accommodate that, so I need a new studio desk. And so, oh my gosh, Sp yeah. it, uh, spirals, huh? It really does. And so it's like, it's, uh, we talked about this a few times on the podcast. Rarely is one link in the chain going to cause an overall difference. You know, and like, I mean, your studio is only as strong as its weakest link and you can't like you can't just buy things willy nilly and expect a world of difference. You have to like there is a level of thought and planning that has to go into it. So. Um, so, yeah, luckily with like with the gift card, I'm able to get all of those things except for the studio desk because it's not at Sweetwater. But um, but I was able to find one that would actually fit inside my booth and would make much a much more ergonomic and professional looking space. So I'm really happy about that. And whatever I decide to get, I just wanted to thank everyone who, who offered their advice and Gerald and uh, J. Michael Collins and Marilyn Wisner and all the other contributors to the Unicorn Grant for giving me this wonderful, wonderful gift. And uh, and I even had some left over to donate to our local music programs because Sweetwater has a wonderful um, like uh, donation suggestion where like they want to just contribute to national music programs because of their own love of music. And I think it's a wonderful idea. So uh, thank you, Sweetwater. Thank you, Gerald Griffith and Ann Ganguza and all of the contributors and coordinators of VO Atlanta for inspiring this wonderful grant and, the, and for choosing me, of all people, to receive, like to be a finalist. It, it's huge. It's really huge. So thank you very much. But I mean, that's me. Sorry, I've been droning on about that for so long. But I mean, it really was just kind of just an amazing experience to be rewarded um, just for helping people out in the industry I love so well, you know. So but uh, enough about me, Paul. You got any questionable gear purchases you want to talk about? 
Actually, no. Um, Correct. I know. <laughs> well, I, I have some some bills coming due, which is why I haven't been been able to do that. So, um, along with finishing that last book, I have to pay my editor. So, until I get the the funds from from Findaway, I need to fund that myself. So, I'll be paying him, and then I had a one leftover bill from the the redo of my my website that I have to take care of as well. So, yeah, n- definitely no, definitely not a good time to to make any purchases. Plus doing the doing taxes this week so that's yeah there, there's one for you do you have to pay those really <laughs> i know <laughs> i wish we didn't i guess it's the next know, two weeks but still uh, well that's that's fun i'm sure your wife's happy about that yeah but. definitely <laughs> so with that we'll bring it to the main portion of this episode our interview with public address announcers or reformed public address announcers and how that might affect their voiceover career Welcome to the roundtable portion of this episode of the VO Meter. We're really excited to have our public address roundtable with folks who either are currently doing public address or have done so in the past. And the reason this came about is because I myself have done public address announcing. I was the public address announcer for a state university here in Maryland, the Towson State University. Or sorry, it was Towson University when I was doing the public address announcing, but my degree still says Towson State. I'm kind of partial to that. And I did, let's see, women's soccer, men's soccer, women's basketball, volleyball, and uh, one men's basketball game. Apparently, they didn't like me very much because I only got that one chance. But we have people that have done public address for a whole host of other events. And we're going to jump into how that might have affected their voiceover career, either negatively or positively. So first, let's go around the room and have everybody introduce themselves. Uh, let's start with, on my screen, Justin. How are you doing today, Justin? Yes, uh, I'm Justin Brown. I used to be the PA announcer for the Talladega Super Speedway. Great. And uh, where are you out of now? I'm in Birmingham now, and I'm doing currently doing radio. Okay, great. Next we have Mike. Mike, introduce yourself, please. Well, I'm Mike Norgard, and uh, I'm full-time voiceover artist and part-time sports public address announcer, and I do... Uh, Grapevine Colleyville ISD football and uh, former college basketball and baseball at high school, uh, collegiate and professional levels as well. And hockey, too. Okay, great. And Jay, welcome. Hey there. Uh, hey, great. Thanks. Yeah, Jay Harper, my name. And uh, I'm actually uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, based here currently. And I uh, have done voiceover work for, gosh, almost 30 some odd years, but doing public address announcing VO, uh, you know, for gosh, a good part of that time as well at the high school and collegiate levels, uh, the Citadel uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, where I'm currently based. I've done uh, PA for baseball. Uh, I've helped with football uh, pretty much at the high school level. Gosh, everything from hockey to soccer to baseball, softball, uh, football. It's uh it's been uh, uh, an entertaining and educational experience to, to work all these different types of sports uh, and get a feel for a, a real feel for each of these these uh, these sports being uh, up in the booth and watching things from a PA announcer's perspective. Awesome. And Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am uh, currently the public address announcer for University of Maryland. I've done upwards of... Uh, 12 division one sports for them uh been this will be my ninth year on the mic for them 
I had been doing some uh, internal voiceover for the federal government uh, when I was employed there. And then as a long-term, long-time season ticket holder to Maryland basketball, I was watching their public address announcer, and I said, well, there's a guy behind the mic, uh, so maybe I might give that a try. And so wrote to the University of Maryland back in 2010 and was picked up for a number of their sports. I currently do men's and women's uh, soccer in the, in the uh, fall, uh, women's basketball, gymnastics in the, in the winter, and lacrosse and softball uh, in the spring. So I've been doing that ever since. Switched over to full-time voiceover when I retired from the federal government in 2013 and have been doing a host of different uh, genres in that, that realm, including audiobooks, narrations, documentaries, and, and uh, things of that sort. Okay, great. So thanks for going around the room and talking about your voiceover experience. What we want to talk about is how you got into other forms of VO and um, transitioned or are working on transitioning, or if you're just trying to do both at the same time. So who'd like to start with that? Uh, I think that was Justin. So go ahead, Justin. Sure. Uh, I was in radio and have been and still am in radio started back in 1990. And when I was in another market in Amarillo, Texas, I was contacted by a local studio that said, when you get off the air at 9 a.m., would you be interested in coming down and recording some commercials? We'll pay you for it. And I thought, well, that, that sounds like the best thing I've heard all day. So I went down and read scripts and they wrote me a check on the spot before I got out to the car. And, uh, that really intrigued me a lot. And so I kind of have been playing around with VO part-time for the last eight or nine years. And then I finally, uh, with my wife's blessing and urging to build a home studio have been able to keep a couple of clients but not really a whole lot of work just kind of side work and then uh, I just happened to down the hallway at one of our other studios uh, a friend in that was actually a full-time VO actor Scott Chambers oh who, I know Scott Scott's a good friend he was yeah. he was he was down the hall and a word got around and everybody started coming up to me one at a time saying you know he's a full-time voiceover actor so I asked him to lunch and started picking his brain. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a coach. I'm going to VO Atlanta. I'm sitting with you, Paul, in an X session with Mary Lynn Wisner. And so um, things are, are starting to move pretty rapidly in that area. So I've, I've got a goal to transition out of radio before radio transitions out of me to get into full-time VO if, uh, if I can. So that's, that's the, the big the big goal for the next couple of years. That's awesome. So you turned, you made this transition pretty quickly, huh? Over the last couple of months. Yeah, I started in December, and I I reached out to Eric Romanowski, and he suggested that I get a coach. And I had looked back at my email from Scott Chambers, and he suggested that I get a coach. And there was one name that was common on both of those lists, and it was Jody Gottlieb. And I reached out to her and asked her if she would take on a new client. She said yes. That shocked me. <laughs> so my first coaching session was the week between Christmas and New Year's. And so I have had, you know, basically one session a month, and now I've booked my flight and studio time to do my demo in Los Angeles. So that'll be in April, so I'm looking forward to see what the next step would be. 
Okay, so Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started to transition to VO? I had I had been doing some uh, voice work for the federal government, uh, which got me the idea of trying to uh, get into the voiceover world. Uh, as I was explaining to before, I've been a 35-year ticket holder for Maryland basketball and noticed uh, the PA announcer behind the mic, and I thought, well, there's something I might be able to try. Um, so actually, the PA work was actually my first outside paying gigs um, outside of what I was doing for the federal government. Uh, once I retired in 2013, I decided to, to branch out into other voiceover realms. Um, and again, but just kept the PA announcing one. It was a, a, a nice paying gig. It's always great to get paid to watch Maryland uh, sports as well. Um, but I just saw it as an extension of the different types of voiceover work uh, that was out there. My, my work as a PA announcer has led to transitioning more to live event announcing. Uh, I just had a demo produced by J. Michael Collins um, on live event announcing. And so I've been able to, to market myself as a live event announcer to include work that I've done for the University of Maryland. So in that, that realm, it's worked, in that vein, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, I still continue to pursue audiobooks, corporate narrations, uh, and the like. One thing I like about the PA world is that generally when you talk about being a voice actor, people always ask, is there anything that I've heard you in? Uh, and again, not referring to commercials or anything else. I just tell them I work for the University of Maryland. And many of them have been out to games and and uh, and have heard me there, just didn't realize it was me on the mic. So it's been a nice um, sort of foot forward when talking about the voice um, world, especially here in the mid-Atlantic region. Um, and so it's kind of helped me from a marketing standpoint as well, being a public address announcer. Awesome. Uh, one thing I was curious about, Bob, is because uh, you had a similar experience that I did. When I first started, I had the same the same way I started with public address. I looked down during a basketball game and said, hey, that guy is not a college student. I wonder if they're looking for any more any more people to hire. And I sort of put an application and audition and eventually was hired. Did, were you surprised that they weren't having students exclusively do the work? You know, I, I've seen them use students, and specifically at Maryland and, and a few other schools that I've worked at, they tend to use students for the game operations, um, a lot of the videotaping and, and uh, some of the radio work. They'll use students who are majoring in journalism or, or that stuff. But they tend to go with professional public address announcers, actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was a little bit surprised. But now that I've been in it now for almost 10 years, uh, I really have only seen the PA announcer as the more... I'll say experienced person in the press box. Yeah, it's true. And obviously Jay has the same experience. So Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you're working on transitioning to other forms of voiceover? Well, Paul, for me, actually, um, I was and still continue to do the quote unquote other types of voiceover. Uh, that's what I was doing initially. Uh, you know, I started in radio, 1978. Yeah, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, was you know, was in high school. So, um, but in you know, being on air and getting out and meeting people, and, and those of uh, of our other guests here that are that have the radio backgrounds, you know, I mean, you get out and you kind of, depending on your you know, on your size market, um, you know, you become somewhat of a a known voice, perhaps a known quantity. And you get invited to be a part of things. And that was kind of the way it worked for me to become part of 
uh, the PA announcing realm of things. Uh, you know, I was already in the market on, on air and radio and, uh, was asked to fill in for some public address events. Uh, and that transitioned over into sporting events. And this was all at the now high school level. Uh, and we're talking, you know, gosh, the last 30 some odd years, you know, uh, being able to, to, to be a part of all that, but I've always enjoyed again with the radio background, and the spontaneity that that affords you, you know, if you're not voice tracking or what have you, but, uh, nonetheless, just having that, the ability to be spontaneous granted, uh, being structured and sounding somewhat structured, but not too structured in the live announcing world of things with, with VO and so forth, uh, for public address announcing, and, you know, that, that in and of itself is a skill, uh, to be able to, uh, to you know, dodge and weave, and uh, you're, you you know you're not calling the game per se on the public address announcer, you know, on the PA system, but uh, still having the ability to uh, to do live reads, uh, you know, that's becoming more and more of a thing. You know, when I started, you didn't do ads and stuff to the degree we do now from the from the PA booth. Um, you know, so getting all the little promos in and all the sponsors in and and all the little activities and whatnot that uh, that the gig and you know demands you to be a part of now uh i have found again the radio background certainly helped with a lot of that and then transitioning into other forms of vo uh i too uh, you know doing the audio books the corporate narrator i mean just a little bit of everything and like uh one of the other guests had said through vo atlanta uh just attended my second one of those and uh actually met paul the year before last i was part of the ambassador program and and uh kind of ran into Paul setting up mics and stuff there that first year, but actually mm -hmm. sat in with him on some X session, I believe this year. And, uh, uh, you know, learned that, uh, <clears throat> there are a whole host of people out there that are continuing to kind of tackle all these different little types of voiceover work, but the training and the skills and the technique, uh, while there are some similarities, depending on the area of concentration, uh, the, <laughs> If you think you're going to be, you know, Ron Radio doing a, a corporate narration or something, uh, you know, that that doesn't work. So anyway, that just being able to immerse yourself in the different types of styles of voiceover work out there uh, is one of the things I enjoy. I know there are a number of that they find their niche and they hang with it. And, hey, that's cool. That bores me. I like to tackle a little bit of everything, but certainly knowing my my limits uh, and not going out there and tackling something that I would suggest, Hey, you know, you need somebody else for this. That's, that's not going to be me. That's great. And you're, you're right about the, um, the X session. I was surprised actually that I think of the 12 that were there, eight or nine of the people, or maybe even 10, including the three of us that are on this call said, yeah, we've done some live announcing, some public address work. And I found that to be eye opening. And this is why I actually re energized myself to schedule this episode because Bob and Adrian and I had talked about this almost a year ago. And, and again, you know, there are so many other realms to this. I mean, I have hosted award shows for corporations, um, you know, live event award shows uh, here at the convention center in Charleston, for example. Um, so, you know, it's not just a lot of people think public address. They think primarily sporting, you know, sporting events and whatnot. But, uh, you know, as we know, there are certainly more more avenues to tackle than just that. Right. So you mentioned VO Atlanta, and I actually met uh, our next guest, Adrian, at the Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver Conference last year, although it turns out, as 
often happens in this area. We have a lot of mutual friends. But Adrian, welcome again, and tell us a little bit about the other types of VO you're trying to get into. Well, I really enjoy um, audiobooks, and I've done a lot through uh, ACX. So I've really found that I enjoy, especially the nonfiction, the crime books. Um, but I, I also like to delve into a little bit of everything. I do annually the Merkel Awards, which are held out on the West Coast, and I record them here in my home studio. And it's people from all over the world that have won awards in advertising, and it's their little own kind of Emmy thing. And I, I, I'm looking to do more voice work. I, I, I'm so spread out between the Bowie Bay Sox and Georgetown. I do about six of their sports that sometimes I feel my time gets limited. Um, but I have done some like uh, on Sirius XM, the Fantasy Sports Channel. I've done some of their promos that are airing right now. So I really try to get out there, but I, I do find limitations when you're spread thin. And Mike, Mike Norgard, tell us a little bit about how you got into other forms of VO. Which was first, the, the chicken or the egg, so to speak? Was it public address or was it voiceover? It was the chicken. <laughs> no, I, 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 similar to Jay, I've got a radio background going back into the mid-1980s. And uh, so I was on the radio for a while. And then I was kind of out of voiceover and radio for a while, about 20 years or so. And um, as home studio equipment sort of became more of a viable option. Uh, I started exploring, well, I wonder what I could do from home here to generate uh, some voiceover stuff and get back into that. Because I've always really just loved, uh, let's just clump it under communications. There you go. Um, in general. And, and so I've just always, I've always loved communications in general and voiceover being part of that, audiobooks being part of that, you know, e-learning, uh, you need your voicemail, you know, whatever. Uh, I just love voicing that stuff, doing that stuff. Did get back into radio eventually, just about four months ago, part-time uh, radio job back here in Dallas where I uh, hadn't been on the air in, in forever and ever and ever and hopped back on and just, you know, really enjoying that. There's no money in it anymore, but it is still fun to do. Um, at one point, I was actually standing uh, at, a, at a Chinese food restaurant behind the assistant athletic director for my local school district. And it just sort of on impulse, I said, hey, um, do you guys need any uh, help over there with public address at the stadium? And he said, well, is that something you've done? And I said, well, I've never done any of that, but I do voiceover stuff and I bet I could do it. And he said, um, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll put you on the list. And if we get any, uh, you know, third party sort of engagements that come in, we'll give you a call. And about two weeks later, I got a call and they invited me to come out and do women's professional football. Wow. Uh, yeah, which was really kind of a neat thing. Unfortunately, we had two local teams, and they both folded since then. Uh, but it was really neat while it lasted, and it was here. It was the uh, WFA, the Women's Football Alliance, and you can look that up online if you've got time and, and interest in doing so. But it's kind of a neat thing. It's full-contact women's football. And, uh, boy, when they're out there and padded up, you can't tell it's not guys on the field. They are serious about it, and they have a good time. Uh, and it's a lot of fun to announce as well. So enjoyed that, and then that springboarded into some high school football. And then that uh, expanded into college baseball and then college baseball into college basketball and volleyball and softball and every other ball that kind of came along. So I uh, got into that and I've been, you know, working pretty steady. Uh, hockey came along as an opportunity about five seasons ago. So I've learned a lot about hockey in the meantime. Um, so I had a lot of fun with that, but to, you know, again, there are a lot of opportunities, not only sports, but, you know, uh, I think Jay and, and Adrian were both talking about some of the interesting different things, you know, graduations, for example, or awards banquets. 
Uh, those are, you know, a lot of things, a lot of those go on locally in almost every community. So there's that opportunity if you're interested in getting involved in this side of it. Um, the other thing that, that's been a route that I've heard a lot of people have taken into getting into the sports side of it, a, just to sort of see how they do with it, B, help a team out that otherwise wouldn't have any announcing or would have sort of subpar announcing, uh, and C, sort of get your foot in the door is, you know, to approach a local high school or maybe even a junior high school if they have announcing facilities available where they play various sports and see if there's any level of the sport that doesn't currently have an announcer and just volunteer to jump in there and do it. And I think that that's a great way for, you know, if there's anybody listening today that's in VO that's interested in, hey, how do I get started in this? That's a great way to do it. You know, you can just pick up and call your local uh, high school baseball coach or softball coach or whatever coach and say, hey, does your does your JV team have announcing? And if not, uh, you know, would you like me to come out and do that for you? And nine times out of 10, what I've found is the answer is, yeah, come on, we'll give you a free hot dog and a cap. Uh, and and then you're in and you're started and you kind of at least can can begin building that groundwork. So I think that's kind of a neat uh, a neat avenue that a lot of people kind of take to get in. That's great. So talking about helping out your local school, your local your local rec council, if they have those facilities, that's fantastic. But there's a question I had before we jump into how the public address has maybe affected your reads and other genres. What's the biggest uh, arena or uh, stadium that each of you has, has announced in? Uh, I'll go first. With the, with the crowd was the 5,000-seat Towson Arena, or CQ Arena is called now. And for an audition, where I actually met Bob for the local arena football league team, was the Verizon Center. Or no, now it's the, um, oh, what's it called? The Capital One Center? Bob, help me out. Capital what? One Arena. The Capital One Arena in Washington. I got to do an audition there, ultimately did not get the job. But to hear my voice in, a, in an 18,000-seat arena was pretty cool. So how about everybody else? What's the biggest venue you've heard your voice? Well, for me, it's uh, definitely Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium, uh, which holds a good... Uh, you know, 50,000 plus. Uh, when I do lacrosse there, especially when Hopkins comes into town, we'll generally have about 15,000 in there. Uh, after that would be Xfinity Center, which holds almost uh, 18.5. And when Connecticut came to play Maryland women, uh, we had a full house there. So that's the largest crowd I've announced in front of, about 19,000 people. And generally for women's basketball, it will be anywhere from 5,000 to 7,500 people. Uh, that you're you're doing the work for. That's great. Uh, Adrian. Uh, my biggest one was the Baltimore Orioles, and I've done about 15 games for them. And uh, on some of the games, there's been about 42,000 people, some days less. But that was definitely the largest facility, and I hope they'll ask me again this year. It's just incredible to do it at that volume and that amount of people, and the energy you get back from the people it's just it's just an amazing experience all around. So my largest is the Baltimore Orioles Camden Yards. Awesome. Uh, Mike, how about you? The largest facility that I have worked is uh, AT&T Stadium in, in Arlington. And, uh, well, I'm not sure. Uh, Cotton Bowl in Dallas as well. So I've worked both of those rooms. And, uh, and those are interesting. The Cotton Bowl was a, a very interesting experience for me. It was my first high school football game. And it was the ESPN kickoff classic that they were showing, uh, I think it was nationally on ESPN. And so we had a pretty full house for that. And it was kind of a neat, neat experience. But they've got this little bitty tiny thing, looks like a lapel mic on a stick. Uh, 
at the Cotton Bowl. And you walk in there and I was like, oh my gosh, what in the world could this little tiny mic possibly do? And I popped it and did a couple of test announcements and I was very, very impressed <laughs> with what that little tiny microphone could do. So I guess it's not the size of the mic, it's uh, you know the punch behind it. Um, and then AT&T, I did, uh, uh, that's probably the biggest room that I've been in, but is that the, the baseball stadium where the Rangers play? That is the Cowboys stadium. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's about hundred thousand, I guess, is the seating capacity there. Um, and you know, we probably had about 4,000 for the game that I worked because it was a, a high school sort of reunion football weekend thing where they had a couple, three games, uh, go on. So I announced those. So it certainly was not to a full house, but nonetheless need to be in there and, and be working. Awesome. Uh, Jay, how about you? Yeah, as I sit here and think back on, on things, that's a great question because I never really thought about that, to be honest. You know, you're just kind of in the moment and uh, like the other guests here, you just, hey, you know, you want to be a part of stuff and you enjoy doing it, whether there's, you know, six, six people sitting out there or, or 60,000. But uh, for me, I guess the biggest building would be the Superdome in New Orleans. Uh, granted, uh, kind of like... Uh, Mike was just saying, you know, we didn't fill the place up for the high school state championship that I was uh, that I was PA announcing for, but uh, that was the biggest uh, facility. Uh, I guess it's the Mercedes-Benz Superdome now. Um, and in terms of uh, actual crowd, that would probably be my Arena Football League PA announcing uh, Nashville Cats. Uh, we're going back a ways here. Uh, heck, the uh, the facility's gone through a, a myriad of different names. It was the Gaylord Entertainment Center back then. It's the Bridgestone Arena now, and that facility holds about 17, 17 to, something like that, close to 18,000. And uh, I've done a number of events there where they pack that place. So I guess uh, those, would be, those would be the two up there for me in terms of size of facilities. Okay, great. And I saved the best for last because I know he's going to win. So, Justin, can you still hear me? What's the biggest facility you've announced for? The biggest event that I've been a PA announcer for is roughly around 200,000 people. It was the Talladega Super Speedway, and I tried not to blow that out of proportion. I looked it up on Wikipedia, and they had, uh, at its peak, had seating for two uh, for 175,000. And then when you add in the RVs and, and the people that are in the infield, it's easily 200,000. They, they joke about when the race comes to Talladega, it turns into the third largest city in the United, in the state of Alabama. So it's, it's pretty, pretty large venue and, and bigger than anything that I've ever been able to try to recreate in a stadium or, or an outdoor gathering. And I've, I've had 25,000 people I've been in front of, um, on a stage, but to be able to be in that booth and on the microphone, realizing there's 200,000 people, it's just mind boggling. Yeah, that's awesome, Justin. I knew you would win with that story. That's why I wanted to have you last. <laughs> <laughs> so now we've talked about our public address experience specifically. I want to talk about how doing public address or live announcing or maybe even radio has affected your auditions or work with other more traditional forms of voiceover, commercial, narration, audiobooks. Because one of the things I noticed is that once I, I'm doing that kind of work or I get that in my head, especially for specs that are announcer read, loud loud commercials. I get into that mode where I'm punching the end of sentences and getting really loud at the end to try and pump up the crowd, and it's hard to get out of it where they want to have a more conservative or conversational read. Has anyone else noticed that happening to them when they're doing those types of reads? 
I mean, I would definitely say that. I mean, I have I've, not. Um, to me, being in front of a live crowd is just a whole different mindset. I mean, I think I've got a, a, a completely different hat on than when I'm in the studio doing reads. And I would say that probably initially I had to work pretty hard at getting rid of, of kind of the radio part of it when I started right. non-radio voiceover. But I think that transition was more difficult than any sort of interference, at least in my case, that I've seen from bleeding over from live PA. Okay. And who else had a comment? Was that Jay? Yeah, I, I would agree with Bob. I mean, uh, for me, you know, getting out of that Ron radio thing, I mean, I still do radio today. And uh, so being able to, you know, as you gain experience and you get a little older and you're able to kind of ascertain what kind of uh, presentation is appropriate, then you're uh, you're able to transition between these different types of, of VO work. But I'll admit it. Uh, I, I find myself still falling back at times into the the kind of Ron Radio stuff and the uh, that uh, in some PA situations it's kind of appropriate. But uh, uh, but yeah, being able to just kind of weave in and out of that stuff. I mean, it, it takes some at least for me, uh, and that's one reason I go to these conferences and do the coaching and and, and you know work with various other professionals to just different, get different takes on things and to how to get my mindset and my presentation and my breathing and my vocal style and so forth to, to meet the needs of uh, the project that I'm currently working on, whether it be live, recorded, or what have you. Bob, I think you started to say, how, how have you found your experience on a live mic has translated to your audiobook work and other voiceover types? Yeah, I would echo what Jay was saying. Uh, it seems like I've been doing public address announcing now, this is my ninth year, that that type of read, that type of genre, that type of energy in the arena, I've developed sort of a muscle memory in terms of how to read it, how to punch it, how to get excited, when to get excited. Uh, and it comes very naturally to me. When I sit down in my booth and do a corporate narration, like Jay said, that idea that you have to consciously now take that level down and not punch in area not punch in too much you want a little bit but at the same time just keep it um you know much flatter than you would say in an arena and for me that that has been a bit of a, a difficult transition as i've uh, worked with uh, different coaches they, they immediately hear the announcer and um you know provide me with techniques to sort of tamp that down a bit and that's really helped me in the last couple of years to develop as a, uh, a voice actor in other genres as well. Well, for me, I believe that it affected me negatively. I've heard both sides of the issue. But for me personally, and Paul, you were right there with me in the X session, when I'm trying to do, I'm instructed to do a level above a whisper. And in my mind, what I thought was a level above a whisper, I was stopped in the middle of my first sentence that said, if you were doing that in my ear, you would have knocked me on the floor. So I think when you're normally trying to project and you're trying to get everybody rowdy and you're trying to get people to cheer and you're in the midst of a sporting event or you're mentally trying to figure out if everybody can hear you, you pr probably project more than you normally do. And for me and other people that have been in radio the way that it was been described to me is that when you've been doing this a long time, it's kind of in your DNA. You have to work really hard to get to a conversational read. So I think for me being a, a PA announcer and a radio announcer, I've heard and learned the hard way that 
it's a complete different animal when it gets to VO work because it's not about your voice in VO. It's about the acting. Yeah, and that's the same experience I had. Your, your, your experience with Mary Lynn, as well as Jay and me, um, is what made me ultimately decide to do this episode now. I had planned it a long time ago with Bob and Adrian, but they were the only ones that I actually had on board to say yes. And then when we had that experience, because I felt like all three of us were in the same boat where right. the same thing, we, what we were hearing in our heads was not quiet and, and above a whisper at all. And the way you made that turn at the end, it was so impressive that oh, I, I thought to myself, wow, there, there really is something there. And wishful thinking is that that's part of what's holding me back right now because right. Um, I'm not booking a ton and I'm wondering if there's other reasons and that might be it because I had the same issue where when I finally hit one with a coach and it's conversational, it sounds to me like it sounds unnatural and that it's not even my natural, it's not even my real mm -hmm. voice because I'm so right. used to hearing what's coming out of the cans either at the stadium or on the radio. Sure. And by the time that I got through with that read, for the pomegranate juice, and I was having people in the room applaud for me, I thought that was the worst read that I've ever done. <laughs> and, and Mary Lynn said, no, you've, you've found your sexy voice. And so I've, I've tried to recreate that for a few auditions. It hasn't booked me a job yet, but it is nice to know that I've got techniques, just like when I saw the technique that you used that was brilliant. When you walked over from the corner of the room, I don't know if you were describing what you had for breakfast or whatever, but when you didn't take a beat and you started reading your script, the, the amount of change from what we think in our head is a conversational read to those triggers and those techniques that a coach can give you is, is really, really necessary, in my opinion, to be able to get to a different type, one of those five different types of reads that we learned about. Yeah, that was amazing. Well, every, pretty much everyone that Maryland worked with, that the transformation was amazing. Right. Yeah. It's just a matter of remembering that when you're alone in your in your soundproof booth. But that's been the beauty of coaching. Uh, I've worked with some uh, you know coaches just recently, J. Michael Collins, for instance, and the techniques that that he provides you specifically help me instantly. One to realize it, but two to be able to immediately address it, and it and it's in almost a stair step start completely flat and then work your way up whereas public address announcing i mean you're 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 at level 10 to begin with uh and the idea that you would you don't you very rarely actually come down from that uh the only the other drawback to public address announcing i do almost 80 events a year uh it does put a bit of stress on your voice and with all my other voice work I, i've had to actually um, you know, tailor that a bit. If I know I have something to narrate, I'll narr narrate it prior to my announcing gigs and then use the following day where I can't use my voice that much and use that for editing and, and other things. Mm, good point. So, Adrian, how has your public address work affected your work in audiobooks? With audiobooks, that actually I feel that I transfer and change that hat, so to speak, pretty well. But I have noticed, as you said, when I'm doing voiceovers, that it becomes a little staccato, that it's not flowing as well because I'm so used to emphasizing points and putting a lot of emphasis on a certain word or a certain thing they really want to get them across at the stadium. So when I am trying to do voice work, I, I definitely feel that my sentence isn't flowing as well as it should, and I kind of have to really redirect and 
bring the volume down and bring my energy down and sound a little bit more natural. But in books, I feel I get so into it that I don't feel the I don't feel a problem in audiobooks per se. Yeah, I guess at that point it all becomes about the acting chops and making sure that you uh you're getting your characters right. Right. And I just get so when I'm into reading and I get into the characters and I just get so involved because I love to read. I get so involved in the book. I'm not thinking about it. And it just it flows naturally. But I realize occasionally when I do commercials that it becomes a little more staccato. Right. Any other further comments on that before we move on? So our last question, and we've talked about this a little bit. Some of you mentioned it in your in your intros. But for those of us that are still doing or those of you that are still doing PA or those that have stopped, what are your plans for the future? Do you think it's something you still want to continue to do? Or if you stopped, like me and, and Justin, is it something you think you might get back into? Or are you focusing more on commercial, audiobooks, narration, those types of genres? Why don't we start with uh, Bob? Yeah, I'm going to continue with it. I mean, I, I, it, is, it, is a, it remains a revenue stream for me for RJ Voices. So until I have something that overtakes that revenue stream, uh, which maybe one day it will, uh, I'm going to continue doing it. Plus, I, I, I really do enjoy it. Um, it does take a bit more time, though, than your normal voiceover work. You might have a two-hour event for a PA announcer. You have to get there a good hour ahead of time. And with traffic in the Mid-Atlantic region, for a three-hour game, I'm often away from the house for six hours at a time. So in that realm, it does, it does, put, um, it does put a bit of uh, a time suck on things that you can do um, um, for other work that you might have. But yeah, I'm going to continue it. Again, it, it provides me with uh, FaceTime, if you will. Uh, it allows me to advertise, especially for women's basketball, where your f- people have more of a tendency to want to come up to you. Uh, a lot of people say you have a great voice. I hand them a card. And just like that, you know, they want to work with the public address announcer for Maryland basketball, uh, women's basketball. So, yeah, I'm going to continue it. I, I, I enjoy it. I like it. And I think as I've gone through a lot of the training and, and conferencing, you know, you often hear in the vo- voiceover world that, you know, where everyone might want to do commercials um, because that might pay the most, um, you really want to focus on a genre and just get really good at it. And for me, I kind of like PA announcing and I think I'm really good at it. So I'm going to continue with it, um, you know, until something better comes along. But for me as a, lifelong Maryland Terrapin, uh, I, I don't see me leaving the Terps uh, anytime soon. Well, you are good at it, Bob. I've heard you live on several occasions, and I've always been a fan. Uh, thank you very much. And Adrian, who I've also heard live, um, tell me a little bit about what your plans are for the future. Baysock starts out on April 5th. I'm still doing Georgetown Cross right now. And I'm really hoping to get into some voice work, um, more voice work, I'm finishing up a book right now, a science fiction book, and I'm really hoping to start pursuing auditioning for more voice work and getting an agent like yourself. And that is my pursuing. I really want to be out there doing more commercials and online and e-learning. Okay, great. Mike, uh, how about you? Do you plan to continue your live announcing work? Well, for the time being, yes. Um, I always take the approach, particularly with sports and uh, and live PA, that if I'm having fun doing it, then I'm hoping the crowd is having fun with me. And so at whatever point it becomes I'm not having fun doing it, 
then I'll know that that's probably the time to step out. And same thing with radio. Um, you know, I pretty much just do that for the fun and enjoyment of it. There's no money in that anymore, really, unfortunately. Uh, so voiceover, studio voiceover work is really what pays the bills, uh, followed by PA, followed by radio. So that's, I think that's kind of my, my answer is as long as I'm still having fun doing it and they'll still have me behind the mic, uh, I'm happy to be there. And if either one of those two variables changes, then it's time to hang it up. Good advice. Jay, how about you? Yeah, I was sitting here thinking uh, what Mike was saying. That's kind of like, I, I felt like just saying ditto. Um, <laughs> so much of what he said is kind of right, kind of where my wheelhouse is currently. Uh, and he's right about the radio thing. I mean, I'm just doing it for fun these days. It certainly doesn't really pay that many bills, but uh, uh, still getting an opportunity for that live interaction in the, uh, you know, I, I do, I'm sideline reporter for Citadel football and uh, color analyst for Citadel baseball on radio. So uh, those experiences have kind of morphed into other things that I, that I truly enjoy. But um, for me, it's the studio work that that pays the majority of my bills. Everything, everything from the the commercial work to the you know the e-learning, the on-hold messaging, so on and so forth. Uh, and the radio just kind of, you know, as we know it, uh, the, you know, the cliche getting your blood and all that stuff. And it's true. I mean, I, it's just an itch that I you know that I scratch that only seems radio can do it uh, in one particular particular way. And then the the, the public address announcing for me. It's all about the fun, frankly. Uh, I'm not doing it to the degree I once did, but I do get called uh, uh, occasionally to to handle some things. I will be honest that uh, I'm so pressed for time. As one of your guests said, I believe it was Bob, you know, heck, you can put a good six hours into uh, into the the one event gig there. And not that you're not willing to put in the hours, but hey, you got to economize and maximize and prioritize. So uh, there are times when I just don't have the time, uh, frankly, to really actively go after the PA uh, sort of announcing gigs, but I really do enjoy them. I do enjoy that that live energy that everyone has spoken about. Uh, and for me, PA announcing has just become a fun thing that if I could do more of and make more money at, yeah, I'd probably do it. But uh, it's not something that I'm out there marketing myself as. Well, I, I didn't really enjoy it as much as I thought that I would on paper. Being a PA announcer, I thought was going to be fantastic. I did a little on the radio um, at my first radio job as a color commentator at a high school football stadium. But when I got the opportunity to to fill in at the Talladega Super Speedway, I thought, boy, that's the cool factor to be able to tell people that you're the PA announcer at Talladega Super Speedway. It looked it it went great on Facebook, but when you're there live and you're only reading, um ads while MRN is taking their break, you've, it gets really stressful because you're having to wait for somebody next to you looking at the radio producer, giving them a countdown for when they go back live and you have to wrap up your script. So you've got people tapping you on the shoulder, giving you a wrap up signal and you're basically reading whether or not, you know, who the sponsor is for the caution flags or who when the bar opens at 10 a.m in the infield or please don't throw trash on the on the racetrack so it wasn't as glamorous as i had hoped that it would plus it didn't pay that great so that's why i'm not planning on doing that anymore and hoping to transfer and transition into full-time vo work my wife just recently gave me the green light because i told her that you were kind enough to invite me to be a part of this podcast and i was excited about being a part of it 
But she said, well, you know, if you really want to do that again, that'll be fine. And I said, you know what? I, it Waiting until you getting there before the race starts, getting your credentials and having to get up in the out uh, exterior outdoor elevator and you're sharing a bathroom that doesn't have a cover over when you're waiting in the rain with all the TV folks is not the most glamorous thing. And then when you have to be there after the race is over with, and you're the last one to leave behind all of those drunk people trying to drive home on a back road and almost getting hit head on, uh, kind of made me say, no, you know, I think I'll just stay out of that and, uh, watch it on TV if I wanted to keep following the race. Yeah, it makes sense. PA in general is much more work than I think people think. Yeah, it's 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 really high stress and high pressure and low pay. Yeah, I remember going hours early to a game, and you have to interview each coach to make sure you know how to pronounce everyone's name. You have to find out if anyone didn't travel with the team, so you don't have them on your your substitution list. You have to know which number goes with each player. That can get pretty. That can be a lot of time out of your schedule. Well, I also had my job threatened one time when I was a color commentator for the high school football team, and I was challenging uh, the coach's decision to keep rotating in and out quarterbacks. And I made the comment that I didn't think that the offensive line ever got into the rhythm that they needed to because once they got used to one a quarterback, they would change them to another quarterback. Well, the coach decided to call up the radio station and tell them in no uncertain terms he did not want me ever broadcasting for for their high school football game again. Oh my gosh! So, so what were they was, paying you like twenty five dollars a game? Maybe you know, and then <laughs> then you would have to help break down the equipment, bring it back to the station, and then get up to be on the air at five o'clock the next morning. It just it really. <laughs> it didn't, yeah, it's it, a thankless it didn't really job. pan out the way that I really wanted it to. Well, that's great. So, Jay, you mentioned studio work pays the bill. So let's try and help you do that. How can folks find you if they want to hire you for their project? Sure, sure. I, well, thank you, uh, Paul. That's kind. Um, yeah, you know, like everybody, I've got the website that at the moment uh, is literally, seriously, I mean, it, it is in transition. So uh, when you do open it and go, Ew, uh, then, uh, you know, it is, I'm telling the truth, it is in transition. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> moving it from a, a, a San Diego provider to a local provider. But jharperproductions.com, J-A-Y-H-A-R-P-E-R, productions.com, all spelled out. Uh, they can track me down there and, uh, hear a couple of demos and stuff. But again, here, probably in the next two weeks, you'll have a, a more concise streamlined site. That'll be a little more user-friendly. Great. And Mike, how can folks find you? Well, if you're looking for me, I encourage you to search Fiverr. And uh, <laughs> when you, when you don't you find me there. there, then you can come to my real website at voiceovermike.com. Great. Adrian, how can people hire you? Uh, Adrian underscore Robertson at hotmail.com. I'm also on a Wix site webpage under Adrian.Robertson. And uh, Facebook, I really, Facebook and LinkedIn, I believe LinkedIn has really helped me get a lot of work, especially in the sports uh, community. Okay. Really and Bob, how can we find you? I'm at rjvoices.com. I just updated my website with new corporate narration, uh, explainer, and e-learning demos, as well as the live event demo. Uh, that I just did to help me transition uh, really some of my work that I've done with PA announcing over over to other type of live event work. So uh, rjvoices.com. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. 
as I said at the beginning, I was excited about this. I've been thinking about this probably for about a year and a half, ever since I ran into Bob at the Capital One Center for that uh, Arena Football League audition I mentioned. And it's something I've always wanted to talk about. And I appreciate everyone taking their time and sort of dispelling some myths as well as confirming some of my some of my thoughts about the uh, the live announcing and public address as it relates to other forms of VO. I appreciate it. Thanks for being uh, thanks for including me. Same here, Paul. Enjoyed meeting the others as well. So once again, that was our PA public address panel or reformed public address announcers panel. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of our guests and apologize that I was not able to join you in this meeting. We had a couple of glitches um, trying to get our, our conferencing software to work. I think we were really just kind of pushing the limits of what Bodago Call was capable of trying to have a conference with six people, some being on phone, some being in... Um, in areas with uh, questionable internet connections. And so I just thought it would be easiest if I removed myself from the equation and try to like put less of a choke on the bandwidth that way. So thanks again for, for bearing with us in those technical difficulties. And hopefully we can have, um, we can have a more stable call if we try this again. Yeah, still, it was interesting there. It was fun putting together and challenging putting together, really tested my editing skills. But in the end, it was a lot of fun. I've been trying to put this together for a long time. Way back at the last Mid-Atlantic voiceover conference where I met Adrian and we talked about our experiences doing public address, uh, I really wanted to get some some people on that had had a similar experience to me. And I was glad that we were finally able to do it with the awesome cast of characters we had. So thank you for that, Paul. And thank you to our guests once again. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Stick with us. We've got some exciting episodes coming up in the months ahead, particularly our International Talent Roundtable. So why don't you talk about that, Paul? Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. This came together after VoiceOver Atlanta, where I met a bunch of people who were international voice talents. We're going to have Simone Cliast from Brazil, Umberto Franco from um, Portugal, uh, Susie Valerio from, uh, I think she lives in the UK, but she's a native Spanish speaker from, from Spain. And we're going to have Sofia Cruz, oh, and as well as Christian Lands. So we're really excited about that panel. I can't wait to hear what they have to say about how their international um, flavor affects their voiceover career. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> so I can't wait for that panel. I'm really excited about the guests that we're going to be having on. But I just wanted to say thank you to our audience for listening in every month. We hope you're enjoying all the things that we're spouting out. And we hope that... I don't even know. Um, I don't know. what Paul, what am I trying to say? Say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> Good night, Gracie. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. And once again, get well soon, Paul Strickverda. Get well soon, Paul. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. To follow along, please visit www.vometer.com. 